quick announcement before we start the show. This is part one of our episodes on Jeffrey Epstein. Part two will be out later this week. Thanks for listening. Hashtag Clinton body count. Hashtag Trump body count. Well, it's The Plunge, your favorite podcast about the, uh, I don't know, it's often about the worst people and events of our crumbling universe. Uh, I'm Dan, joined by Sam, and I guess we decided that it was time for the Jeffrey Epstein episode of The Plunge. Yes, it's the Jeffrey app, the one in which we discuss the life and times of Jeffrey Epstein, whose life came unexpectedly to an end this past Saturday, August 10th. Dan, what was it like when you woke up to that news? I mean, honestly, uh, it was kind of like the one thing, you know, and, and it feels weird to be like, oh, damn, like the a disgusting pedophile pimp is dead, but like you wanted him to survive long enough to implicate his co-conspirators and various uh, clients. Yeah. I wanted to know exactly which lizard people, which Clintons, which, you know, Royal family members were going to go down. And I wanted it to come out of his mouth and, who knows what like any trial proceeding with him alive would have looked like, but that's no longer in the realm of possibility because he's just straight up dead. And I would like to say at the top, uh, this is a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about sexual assault. Uh, pedophilia, like sex trafficking. Yeah, just about the worst of the worst. So, it, you know, if you have a, a weak uh, stomach, uh, I don't blame you for not wanting to hear this, but... Uh, Let's just say at the top, uh, most of uh, what we're saying is in this podcast is like documented in uh, major publications. And uh, but, you know, allegedly, I'm going to say that as, as a precursor to this podcast, this is alleged. Of course, yes. Uh, this is not, I guess, in a, a settled case or a closed case by any means, but it seems, I mean, this has been going on for so long and so much of this has been, as you said, in the public record that we think we definitely are like within the rights to uh, discuss it. So January 20th, 1953, Jeffrey Epstein is born in Brooklyn, New York, reportedly born wealthy. Uh, he dropped out of college twice and never got a degree. By all accounts, pretty much a total and complete dunce. Now... A Brooklyn moron, Sam, what do you think uh, maybe he should have done instead? I mean, if he was born in this day and age, he'd definitely be just a podcaster and it would be fine. He'd find some kind of following for whatever kind of, you know, maybe he's like a, it seems like later on life he got interested in finance. Maybe he could just do some kind of finance podcast and, and start a Patreon, and I guess, avoid a life of evil. But of course, we know that's not how this is going to turn out. 
No. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, in the summer of 1974, begins teaching physics and math classes at the Dalton School, which is an elite uh, Manhattan Ivy League prep school on the Upper East Side. And he's hired to that job by, of course, like you're going to see throughout this story, recognizable names. Uh, America's elites are all just this incestuous, like, families, these these dynasties of just, like, blubbering morons and, like, disgusting people. So the current attorney general, William Barr, uh, his father, Donald Barr, brought Jeffrey Epstein into the Dalton School. And, Sam, it seems a little weird that we're now expecting William Barr... And by by the accounts on Saturday, William Barr is livid over Jeffrey Epstein's death. I, I don't. I'm not going to really trust anything since it was William Barr, uh, his father Donald Barr, who brought Jeffrey Epstein into this elite Manhattan world. I mean, that's absolutely true. He like. I don't understand this world in which you can just go ahead and become a teacher with like no experience or, you know, college degree. So, I mean, that must just be some like baby boomer life that I uh, will never get to experience. But either way, I mean, the fact that like William Barr is now going to open this like DOJ investigation into the death of Jeffrey Epstein when he has this bizarre connection. I don't know how much like it's going to influence his decision, but it is so bizarre how he is connected to this. I mean, as you'll as you said, we'll see much more of this as we go forward. But you pulled out some details about what Epstein was like as a teacher that are so funny to me. He was a terrible teacher. He did not take class seriously. I mean, weird given that he's like a shiftless, like you know, not like college grad and all this stuff. He apparently dresses in a weird garb, like a floor length fur coat, shirt unbuttoned to the navel. It's very bizarre presence, uh, chaotic, oh, very chaotic style. But the students liked him. Like, he was very friendly, obviously, with the female students, uh, mm. as uh, we will come to learn is kind of his thing. Um, he was liked, but definitely had a, a reputation as a bit of a creep. Uh, I think there was at least one instance where he showed up to a high school party. And he was <laughs> himself, uh, you know, about 20 years old at the time. So he wasn't that much older than the students he had. Yikes. And he connected at Dalton with a student's father, Alan, and this, uh, his father uh, was named Alan Greenberg, a chief executive of Bear Stearns, which, of course, played an enormous role in the financial crisis. Of course, which also involved Epstein, just like everything else. But, I mean, j before we move on to that next phase in his life, it's so funny how, like, Dalton currently costs, I think, like $50,000 per year. It's more than a lot of colleges. And yet Jeffrey Epstein was, for some reason, like, able to get a job there with, as we said, no experience or degree or anything. But... Either way, from 1976 to 1981, Jeffrey Epstein leaves teaching and he rises through the ranks at Bear Stearns, first as a trader, then as a limited partner. Uh, again, boomer life. I mean, not even <laughs> no degree in any of this. He just gets to go ahead and do it because he met the, you know, like you said, he met, uh, I guess, Alan Greenberg while he was a teacher at Dalton School, which he also, for some reason, was able to do without any experience. Just a weird life that none of us can empathize with. Yeah, and there's no indication that he was really anything of a 
math whiz, science whiz. Like, he was not a smart guy. Well, maybe you don't need to be to make it in the finance world. Who knows? But in 1981, Epstein founds International Assets Group Incorporated, which is a consulting firm that soon started attracting many very wealthy international clients. Throughout the 1980s, he worked with Stephen Hoffenberg to develop a strategy of corporate rating, which I guess was that's just what everyone was doing in the 1980s if you wanted to make a lot of money really quickly, where he would take over vulnerable corporations. Hoffenberg later, of course, ends up pleading guilty to SEC charges in connection to like $475 million in fraud. Fraud, which at the time was called one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history. I mean, we're in serious like 1980s New York creed is good territory here. Yes. So Epstein comes out of that with his reputation intact enough to f- to start his own financial management firm, J. Epstein and Co. It's a great name, right, Sam? Yeah, just, I don't know. I guess... Uh... It makes it sound like this kind of harmless family business, but of course, as we're going to see, you know, Jeffrey Epstein is not involved with anything harmless. So this is where the mogul of retail, Les Wexner, comes into the story. He is the owner, uh, or rather the CEO and founder of L Brands and Victoria's Secret. Uh, He's a billionaire, uh, and he apparently saw something in Jeffrey Epstein and proceeded to, by all accounts, fund his life. That must be fun. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. I, I wouldn't use it for these dastardly mean ends either. I would just be nice with my billionaire philanthropist patron. The weird, weirdest thing about this, Sam, is that Les Wexner appears to be uh, Epstein's only client. <laughs> not sketchy whatsoever no uh the man's worth 4.8 billion and just the amount of trust he put into jeffrey epstein in the 1990s is like mind-boggling it's completely true and of course he starts bestowing these lavish gifts on epstein as well including this enormous nine-story 50,000 square foot Manhattan townhouse the entrance to the townhouse is decorated in literally like individually framed eyeballs which are imported from England where they were made for injured soldiers yes this was that kind of thing where Epstein after being given this townhouse and control over Wexner's uh, enormous checkbook he he was even given power of attorney over Wexner which very much puzzled Wexner's friends and associates because they didn't really see anything in Jeffrey Epstein that indicated he had any real financial skills. So we don't know exactly what Epstein had over Wexner, but we have some idea based on future disclosures. Um, This is just so disturbing because... Without these, like, benefactors to, like, lift Epstein up and, you know, throw him into the ranks of, like, the New York elite, all of these victims would not have, like, faced these horrific, like, crimes that these men did. Yeah, it's like we have this thing in society, especially, you know, the stage of capitalism that we're in, where I guess 
once you are above a certain amount of you know money or you're in like a certain social circle you are just largely exempt from the law or you can circumvent it or avoid it or whatever you need to do to get away with like the most depraved shit and that's like a theme of the epstein uh, chronicles i would say and let's just mention her right now but it is in 1991 that jeffrey epstein uh, be, uh, comes associated with Ghislaine Maxwell, the daughter of, uh, I believe, Robert Maxwell, a British, uh, you know, elite who died mysteriously by falling off his yacht, which apparently was a yacht later owned by Donald Trump. But, you know, we don't have enough time to, to really get into that. But and he'll pop up plenty in the story. Yes. Uh, but Ghislaine Maxwell is a British socialite who came to New York, befriended Jeffrey Epstein. She gave Epstein access to the sort of New York social circles that allegedly he has uh, pimped out uh, underage women to uh, throughout the 90s and 2000s. (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned that she gave him this access to the arts world when the descriptions of like the stuff that he had in his own townhouse are so ridiculous like the humongous naked sculpture of an african warrior at least twice life size tons of leopard print furniture a huge print depicting an quote-unquote oriental scene of a woman holding an opium pipe caressing a lion skin he claimed his desk belonged to jp morgan himself claiming it the largest persian rug and a literal stuffed black poodle sitting atop a grand piano yeah the black poodle was particularly bizarre and he said he said that he put it apparently he said that he put it there because no one would ever, no designer would ever tell you to put a, a stuffed poodle. And it wasn't like a stuffed animal. It was a dead poodle that he had had tax, taxiderm. Ta- that's, the, that's the term, right? Taxidermy. Sure. You, you got it. It's close enough. <laughs> so cool guy. Very good taste. Extremely normal. Uh, you know, his billionaire friend, Leslie Wexner, gave him this 50,000 square foot Manhattan townhouse eyeballs in the entranceway i mean this is this is getting weird and we're only in the early 90s so either way of course you know as we find out later in history i guess this is when some of epstein's characteristic behavior can be traced to in 2016 a lawsuit circulated by from a a victim named katie johnson She claims that in 1994, Trump and Epstein solicited sex from her when she was just 13 years old at both of their Manhattan homes. She claims both men threatened to harm her and her family if she told. Days before the 2016 election, Johnson pulled out of a press conference fearing for her life. She later dropped the lawsuit, uh, which was over a $100 million lawsuit. I mean, so this is, I guess, when we at least had this one account of what happened at this time period that I guess was high profile kind of in 2016. And uh, 1998, we can move ahead to where uh, Jeffrey Epstein acquires little St. James Island in the U S Virgin islands. Now this is a pretty, this is, this is, this is the big, you know, this is the Island, Sam, this is the, this is where a lot of Epstein's, uh, crimes occurred this is where a lot of the human trafficking occurred 
Yeah, and the so either way, he builds a luxury compound out there with this disgusting Japanese bathhouse and like a temple. Uh, he at this time also owned a mansion in Palm Beach, Florida, a ranch in New Mexico, an apartment in Paris, and of course the plane that Lex that Les Wexner gave to him, which uh, we of course will refer to as the Lolita Express throughout this uh, episode. Yes, and. Uh... During this time, uh, Epstein used his connection to Wexner to, and this was detailed in a New York Times story that came out uh, a week or two ago, uh, to essentially uh, solicit young models uh, claiming he would get them a spot in the uh, Victoria's Secret catalog uh, if they would like go back to his hotel room. And then uh, there was uh, at least one account of a assault that occurred uh, when a woman uh, went back to Epstein's hotel room uh, under the guise of like a professional meeting. This is kind of where we get to, I think this is where it kind of crests, you know, this is, this is the big kind of little St. James Island, Sam. Like that was kind of years ago when you heard about this story, it was like, oh yeah, he was that the, the pedophile sex trafficker with the big, with the, with the plane and the island. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the infamous flight logs of the Lolita Express, which included big names like Bill Clinton, Alan Dershowitz, Kevin Spacey, Chris Tucker from Rush Hour, damn. Um, Also, (laughs) hilariously, Matt Grinig, the creator of The Simpsons, has, by one person's account, just awful feet. All right. We got to read this. I'm I'm really sorry. you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi's daughter said this like ridiculous tweet where she's like, we're going to, you know, some of some of our faves are going to get caught up in this. And we were all like, ah, you fucking idiot. But then it's like, oh, no, not <laughs> Matt Groening who made The Simpsons. Um, Absolutely. So apparently in like these recently released documents, uh, one of Epstein's accusers named Virginia Giafree, um she claims to have been his sex slave and offered a very detailed description of a foot massage she gave to Matt Grinig, where she claims that uh, shortly after we were driven to the private airstrip and took off for Los Angeles, on the plane was an unexpected visitor. Matt Grinning, the producer of The Simpsons TV show, was catching a ride with us. I was so excited as I loved watching his show and acted like a starstruck fan, asking him everything from his initial idea for creating the show to where he got his characters from. He told me it was all based on his own family makeup, but without the crazy father and son scenes of Homer's hand around Bart's throat. I was enjoying our conversation when Jeffrey insisted that I give Matt a foot massage throughout the duration of the short flight. Ugh. I never turned, yeah, very normal request. I never turned down a client, but when I saw the shape of his feet, I nearly threw up at the thought of having to touch them. Ugh. He had yellow, crusty toenails that even someone with a chainsaw would have had troubles cutting through. Ugh. And then there were the fluffy balls of leftover pieces of sock wedged between the crevices of his sweaty toes. Ugh. Now, that was the real icing on the cake for me no way could i attempt this i thought then i had an idea i went to the back of the plane and rinsed a washcloth in warm soapy water and returned for his dreaded foot massage but not before attempting to clean them first yikes and i actually i actually think that and that came out in the document disclosures that came out on friday that i feel like was 
valuable to see because it shows this sort of like banal, gross shit that I don't know. It kind of bucks your idea of what like the elite pedophile ring what they would uh, be engaged in. It's and it's and it's that it's just that like the guy from The Simpsons like getting his disgusting feet rubbed. Yeah, absolutely. And I also definitely believe this account given how vividly she I guess phrased her description of his feet and how disgusting they were in the entire encounter uh truly a remarkable I guess document of our current day and age she even goes on to describe how Matt Grinning went ahead and drew her two quick sketches of Homer and Bart which is so depressing to me I also want to bring up, uh, you know, the Lolita Express. Uh, Bill Clinton was on it over, I think, over two dozen times, according to flight logs. He did not go on with his Secret Service uh, most of the time. And one of the trips was uh, together. uh, I'm pretty sure it was Bill Clinton, Kevin Spacey and Chris Tucker going together with Jeffrey Epstein in the Lolita Express to Africa for a charity function. Oh, God. Like, keep this guy away from any vulnerable population of people. It's so fucking disgusting to think about what he was getting up to that we don't even know about besides the many, many accounts that we have now. Dershowitz claimed that he kept his underwear on during the only massage he received. And uh, let's drop in that clip from Fox News where he's talking about his sex life. Why is he going after me? I have to tell you, I have a theory. I think he's projecting. Uh, David Boyce has a terrible reputation for uh, sexual activities, and I've issued a challenge to him. Look, I've had sex with one woman since the day I met Jeffrey Epstein. I challenged David Boyce to say under oath that he's only had sex with one woman during that same period of time. He couldn't do it. So he has an enormous amount of chutzpah to attack me and to challenge my perfect, perfect uh, sex life during the relevant period of time. Yeah, Alan Dershowitz will come up in this later uh, as a, a legal counsel for his friend Jeffrey Epstein. Um, yeah, Little St. James Island. Uh, I don't know this one account in uh, Vanity Fair where the um, I think it's just called the Horrors of Jeff- Jeffrey Epstein's Private Island. It is. It's just so like sad. The quote at the top is the girls were just so young. And then it's colon the horrors of Jeffrey Epstein's private island. Locals say Epstein was flying in underage girls long after his conviction for sex crimes. And authorities did nothing to stop him. It was like he was flaunting it. But it was said that he always tipped really well. So everyone overlooked it. So uh, this is an account kind of after he was convicted the first time. But it does go into some of the sort of flagrant ways that Epstein would just get away with it. Yeah, and then, of course, that goes on to be a theme of, you know, when we try to prosecute this guy later on in the 2000s. But it's also worth noting that Epstein has extremely, you know, it shouldn't be hard to imagine that he has extremely disturbing sexual proclivities given the scale of his operation. But specific things, like, he apparently was into freezing his penis. He wanted to do, like, cryonics for his dick. Basically, he wanted to live forever. This is a sort of, you know, and we see this sort of Silicon Valley mindset, this sort of, um, you know, Peter Thiel uh, getting blood from younger people injected into his bloodstream. 
you know, there is this idea that science uh, for these elites is a way that they can, you know, like like having billions of dollars is not enough. The they need to, you know, achieve immortality. Yeah, <laughs> it's extremely bizarre. Another disturbing thing about his penis is that apparently it is an egg shaped penis. Yes, and let's drop in. Let's drop in the audio of the uh, uh, testimony. Uh, he's being cross-examined, and he is asked about the egg-shaped penis. Would you raise your right hand, please? Yes. Do you solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you get? Yes, I do. Could you please give us your name? Jeffrey Epstein. Is it true, sir, that um, you have what's been described as an egg-shaped penis? form, vague and definite, and I'm going to give you the, the first warning, Mr. Kuhn, that these types of questions are not only argumentative, but directed in a manner to embarrass uh, Mr. Epstein. If you continue with this type of question, I will adjourn the deposition immediately. Sir, according to the police department's probable cause affidavit, uh, one witness described your penis as oval-shaped and claim when erect it was thick towards the bottom but was thin and small towards the head portion and called it egg-shaped. Those are not my words, I apologize. But as Mr. As Mr. Critton has stated that this is a... I'm willing to continue. I don't know how you, you disagree with that. And I, I read one account that suggested that his body seemed like he was on steroids. Hmm. That's possible, but not big or anything. Well, no, exactly. Like he seems like perhaps the guy who took steroids, but never worked out. <laughs> that's an interesting. I mean, that's like the least of his sins. I would say it's still like kind of a weird window into the way his mind works. Yeah. So in that New York times piece, it doesn't really provide a reason why, Epstein would choose to freeze only certain body parts, but he kind of, this again just shows how he kind of wanted to like buck science and he was a very like corny, like stupid guy. He's a dumb guy. So he thinks that his penis is just so fucking incredible that it must be preserved for future generations. Yeah, he has a lot of that kind of weird, like, it's good to be the emperor kind of, like, self-preservation or seeking for immortality, uh, like, element to him. I guess he is kind of like a weird, you know, lascivious emperor of our own age, like a finance guy who got to, I guess, live out, like, every one of his disgusting sexual fantasies. But uh, even more disturbing than just his, like, sexual gratification is his, like, eugenicist, like, urge to seed the human race with his dna which is i guess the main focus of his new mexico ranch right he wanted to basically bring uh it's so disgusting so the times uh, reported on multiple occasions starting in the early 2000s mr epstein told scientists and businessmen about his ambitions to use new mexico uh, to use his new mexico ranch as a base 
where women would be inseminated with his sperm and would give birth to his babies. Epstein's goal was to have 20 women at a time impregnated at his 33,000 square foot Zorro ranch in a tiny town outside Santa Fe. I mean, it's just absurdly gross. It's like this bizarre transhumanism that's entirely focused on like his dick and balls, like you said. I mean, the thing this reminds me of is like how Kubla Khan apparently like fathered so many, I guess, children back in the day that a lot of people in you know that part of the world are like can trace their descendants to or their lineage to him. And it seems like he wanted to do something similar here, which is it's just so fucking disturbing the extent to which I you know people when they're handed this much power and privilege will go to abuse it and and try to become these like God emperors. And Epstein was confident enough in this idea that he would just fucking talk about this with, I mean, at his like meetings of scientists that he would go to, you know, he would have Stephen Hawking. I believe Stephen Hawking went to the uh, little St. James Island for a conference. Um, Stephen Pinker, who, provided legal advice to uh, Alan Dershowitz when he was representing Jeffrey Epstein at one point. So total, you know, sketch, uh, sketchy guy who has tried to distance himself from Epstein. Uh, Well, he, he said that Epstein uh, once criticized efforts to reduce starvation and provide health care to the poor because doing so increased the risk of overpopulation. (laughs) Yeah, he only wants like to increase the population if it's people who have his specific DNA. It's just truly like a sadistic human. Oh, interesting. He wanted to freeze both his head and his penis. Ah, two most important parts of the body. But I get, okay, so outside of his like disgusting proclivities in the 2000s, Epstein is continuing to invest millions in various funds, including a $57 million investment into the Bear Stearns high-grade structured credit strategies enhanced leverage hedge fund, which if that sounds precarious, it's because it is. It was a fund found to be leveraged 17 to 1. It was a literal ticking time bomb that eventually factored into Bear Stearns' collapse in the financial crisis of 2008. Um, And of course, also at this time, Epstein, as a reward for this extremely risky behavior, is involved in multiple prestigious institutions, including the Council on Foreign Relations, the New York Academy of Sciences, like why? Like he's a fucking banker. Trilateral Commission, like the literal Trilateral Commission. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds made up, but it's real. And the Institute for International Education. I, I mean, I guess he was like a former teacher, but I don't know. Either way, he's so again, he's like just skyrocketing through, as you said, like the upper class of, you know, the the socialites in New York and stuff. And uh either way. In 2002, there's an interesting story about a Vanity Fair piece about Epstein that I think you should tell. Yeah, this is something I really wanted to uh, make sure we added in because uh, Vicki Ward has been, along with Julie K. Brown, probably the two most prominent reporters uh, who have uh, Vicki Ward uh, in her reporting for, I think, uh, Vanity Fair and uh, I think now the Daily Beast, maybe, Um, and then um, Julie K. Brown of the Miami Herald. They uh, they've been uh, covering Epstein for a long time. And the Miami Herald's aggressive coverage is part of the reason why this case was even reopened uh, at all. Um, So Vicki Ward in 2002 is researching a Vanity Fair piece about Jeffrey Epstein. So he invited her to his uh, Upper East Side mansion and 
couple of weird details about this encounter. Um, the only book he has uh, out for her to see is a biography of the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> At least it wasn't Sun Tzu. That's what I was expecting. Yeah, that, that would be the Gorka the, method. The art of war, yeah. <laughs> Epstein acted during this interview as if he really wanted her to say he was like having sex with adults. He really wanted like that to be a part of the reporting. Like, did you hear that? And then Epstein and his friends somehow convinced Graydon Carter, who is the editor in chief of Vanity Fair, to spike any mention of her sources who were underage victims of Epstein's from the story and Epstein even randomly showed up at the Vanity Fair office right before the story was spiked. So, uh, and apparently Vicky Ward said it appeared that he like walked through security, like, and didn't he like, you know, the guy felt he was untouchable. And, uh, that part of the story was spiked in her profile about Epstein, uh, about the underage victims who, uh, she had like, you know, as sources. And, uh, a year later, Epstein was at a party she attended, uh, sucking on a lollipop. <laughs> Just truly a sadistic human, but yeah. So uh, in that following year, two thousand three, Epstein tried to buy New York Magazine, but f- ended up failing. I mean, maybe he was like as chastened by that negative press and wanted to get ahead of anything that you know might else might also be brewing. Fun fact, Harvey Weinstein also failed to buy the New York Magazine at this time. <laughs> it's like the, you know how like the, like the Kush, Hindu Kush mountains or whatever in like Afghanistan are supposed to be like the, you know, graveyard of empires. It's basically the New York Magazine, but for like pederasts. So March 2005, we reach kind of a turning point. Uh, Sam, can you go into some of those details? So either way, a few years later, March 2005, a 14-year-old girl becomes the earliest underage victim to formally accuse Jeffrey of molestation. She cited an incident at his Palm Beach mansion. According to the people investigating, uh, she was brought from her high school by another teenager to give him a massage in exchange for money. This gets pretty creepy because Epstein, uh, you know, is having, allegedly Ghislaine Maxwell is uh, helping find girls to recruit other girls in like the high school in fucking Palm beach where Jeffrey Epstein lives. This is like such a flagrant, like just a flagrant sort of action by Epstein uh, indicating he thinks he's just completely above the law. He's recruiting child sex slaves in his own neighborhood. And at one point uh, after she had uh, gone to police, Epstein called her on her cell phone, but she let it go to voicemail. So there's always this sense that Epstein is capable of like extreme like revenge or like, you know, that he was like he was going to harm anyone who spoke out. And um, can you imagine anything creepier than that guy fucking calling you? Yeah, you know, he's not just calling for any kind of uh, innocent chit chat. (laughs) So... September 2005, uh, we just learned that uh, from th- this came out in the uh, disclosures from last week that Epstein uh, and, you know, again, this was after, you know, like the police were getting involved. Um, he ordered a few books on Amazon and then throws the receipt in his trash for police to find. So one of them is called SM 101, a realistic 
introduction by Jay Wiseman, which, quote, surveys the entire spectrum of consensual sadomasochistic practices from bondage to spanking to erotic role playing and more. I mean, uh, all right. That seems kind of benign. Not obviously not in Jeffrey Epstein's hands, but in like someone else's hands. Kind of benign. Uh, next one is way worse. It's a slave craft roadmaps for erotic servitude Ugh. principles, skills and tools uh, by, quote, a grateful slave with Guy Baldwin, which, quote, dares to delve beneath the surface of D slash S, I guess that'd be dominant subversive relationships, and give us an intimate and revealing view from a rare perspective, that of a slave. Yeah, that's uh, unpacking that. We're not kink shaming on this show, but still. (laughs) Uh, We could kink shame Jeffrey Epstein's hands. Yeah, in Epstein's hands, these books are no good. Uh, and then, of course, the last one is Training with Miss Abernathy, a workbook for erotic slaves and their owners by Christina Abernathy, a comprehensive manual for those who are or wish to be erotic slaves. God, was he like photocopying pages and like giving it to the, the victims? It's just like, fuck. Got like Epstein like sitting up late at night, just like furiously highlighting in these books. God. So either way, I guess events move pretty quickly at this point. October 20th, 2005, investigators uh, get a search warrant on Epstein's Florida home. Uh, The case brings forward several other teenage sex victims. Epstein's butlers admit to the police that he has multiple visits per day from young girls. Uh, A couple months later, in May 2006, police end up charging Epstein with multiple accounts of unlawful sex with a minor. Uh, The attorney, uh, the state attorney, Barry Krischer, refers the case to a grand jury. Epstein's legal team includes, of course, your boy, Alan Dershowitz, and even Ken Starr, which, you know, (laughs) goes back to the Clinton impeachment. It's just amazing how frequently these things come up. You will see these names, these same like fucking uh, just uh, American like political artistic like uh, entertainment elites. Like I don't know, they they a lot of times they they will resurface in these weird ways. Like Ken Starr, the guy who prosecuted Bill Clinton for uh, a, a blowjob, is now defending Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile ring. What? What a time to be alive. I mean, the mid two thousands were a real wild ride. And uh, a month later, in June 2006, the grand jury heard from only one accuser and returned an indictment of one count of solicitation of prostitution. Uh, The accusations from the other victims, which included minors, were not reflected in the decision. Uh, There was no mention of girls being underage or being recruited from a local high school, something you think would come up. And Uh, it's just it's this it's this insane, uh, insane leniency given to Epstein where they had other victims ready to testify, but for some reason it was just thrown to a grand jury, which uh, that's that's not really done in a case about a, a pedophile sex ring. And of course, like after that, it's weird how this story involves a couple good cops. But a month later, after the Palm Beach grand jury, uh, the police chief of Palm Beach was actually very pissed off and asked the FBI to open a federal investigation on Epstein, which uh, involved multiple accusers in Florida, New York, elsewhere in the United States. Uh, The FBI called it Operation Leap Year. And, uh, you know, summer 2007, investigators are working towards an indictment. Epstein's legal team begins to negotiate terms of a plea deal with uh, Alexander Acosta, someone who's going to come up later on, obviously, someone who was in the news recently, uh, who was then the U.S. attorney. 
Uh, Les Wexner severed ties with Epstein's at this time, officially, and uh, the FBI started requesting computers from the Epstein mansion, uh, but they were, of course, removed before the search. Yep, evidence gone, and uh, only because Epstein was just given so, so light a sentence, and... Let's let's get into it. Uh, June 30th, 2008, after more than a year of investigation and bargaining between the two sides, Epstein appears in a Florida courtroom and pleads guilty to one count of solicitation of prostitution and one count of solicitation of prostitution of a minor under the age of 18. Epstein is given a sentence of 18 months in jail, plus a year of community service, and he's registered as a sex offender, which he and his attorneys vigorously uh, were against him being registered uh, on the sex offender registry. Um, now, in July 2008, Epstein's victims learned of the plea deal and they filed an emergency petition under the Crime Victims Rights Act because they were never fucking informed of the plea deal. Sam, is this like is this something that's normal in the, in, the, in the in the court system? I mean, no, obviously not. Uh, clearly, like it, an effort was made to shield them from the kind of decision. Um, Bradley Edwards ends up representing several of the accusers. Um, Epstein later launches, of course, a personal like vendetta campaign against like Bradley Edwards. All, includes all this defamation, and um, eventually, the federal non-prosecution agreement is not made public for more than a year. <laughs> Like it becomes available more than a year after the decision. It's completely insane. Um, like later on in February 2019, I mean, like literally 11 years later, and just recently, a judge ruled that uh, Alexander Acosta, who, as I said, was then the U.S. attorney, that he did violate the Crime Victims' Right Act by not informing Epstein's victims about that plea deal in Florida, you know, over a decade previously. And I think that's maybe another theme of like this uh, case is just, I don't know, some issues the law is really not equipped to deal with or doesn't move quickly enough or is like limited. And in this case, I mean, the fact that this decision was, you know, comes up 11 years after the fact, I mean, it just goes to show how like inefficient a lot of these processes are. And just the fact that this fucking like ghoul could commit just this act of like just complete like uh, dereliction of his legal duty as the U.S. attorney in Miami. Alexander Acosta gets a fucking job in the White House as the yeah. secretary of labor in the Trump administration. Like remember when Trump said he was going to like bring the best people? He literally brought in a guy who gave a sweetheart deal, which is the, the grossest term. I hate the term sweetheart deal. Yeah, but he gave in, the, in this circumstance exactly. But he gave a sweetheart deal to a disgusting pedophile. And as we now know, uh, based on like some of the evidence we've become privy to in the last year or so, uh, Epstein ordered an industrial grade paper shredder and carpet and tile extractor. At this time, it's you know obviously this is like not something that a very innocent person is just you know happens to order at this time yeah uh, like the shredder is just like giant like he's destroying just like I, I don't even know what you would destroy in a shredder like that and i mean the fact that like recently he was found with so much 
fucking incriminating evidence in his in his townhome that he did not destroy with this like industrial grade shredder or whatever just goes to show like how much fucking shit he must have kept lying around his house that was so incriminating so october 2008 uh alex acosta meets kind of secretly with epstein's lawyers and agrees to a final plea deal uh with finally without notifying the victims keeping the deal under seal canceling all jury subpoenas uh the fbi uh located more evidence and witnesses but the uh witnesses were stonewalled and harassed by epstein's lawyers and again uh he pleads guilty to a single count of soliciting a prostitute and a single count of soliciting prostitute with a minor uh 18 months in jail a year of house arrest and when Epstein begins his work release program from jail, according to the Miami Herald, this included the prisoner being picked up by his private driver six days a week and transported to an office in West Palm Beach, where he accepts visitors for up to 12 hours a day before returning to jail at night. The Washington Post reported Epstein's cell door was left unlocked. At least one time, deputies allowed him to travel unsupervised in Palm Beach for four hours, where he could have easily walked right past his victims' fucking homes. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes to show this is not like a, tr- a real, I don't know, punishment for Epstein. It goes to show how much work they did to, uh, I guess, secure this extremely lenient deal when there was so much evidence, I guess, just out in the open that we now know about that pointed to him running this insane like sex trafficking ring of underage girls it's it's truly insane so again like at the time of when he was serving his sentence he was bringing girls into his fucking home and they were allowing him to do it yep and epstein in july 2009 is given early release from jail five months early he never serves time in a federal prison and Epstein, uh, apparently a journalist asked him on the street in New York City uh, what he thought of, you know, his crimes and uh, having to register on the list of sex offenders. He said something to the effect, uh, this is a paraphrase, but he said he believes he's not a sexual predator, but a sexual offender. And according to him, that was the difference between a murderer and someone who steals a bagel. Uh, okay. So this is not exactly stealing a bagel. I think this is more on the scale of murder than, you know, grand theft uh, bagel, I guess. Now, uh, Epstein in November 2011, after his release, registers as a level three sex offender, one in which there is a high risk of repeat offense and a threat to public safety. Right. And apparently he got out of registering in New Mexico like he th- like he owned these multiple residences as a way to like skirt different laws in different places. Yeah, I think it was only in New York that he had to register as a level three sex offender. Um, but either way, after that time, I mean, he kind of laid low and not a lot of news came up about Epstein for a few years. He showed up at like movie premieres in New York City where uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and uh, a a bunch of. New York figures and you know former friends of his brought him back into those elite circles just like happened in his 20s. It's truly crazy. But um 
Either way, by January 2015, things started to pick up again. Uh, one of his accuser, Virginia Roberts, filed papers saying that he forced her to have sex with members of his social set, uh, which included Alan Dershowitz and Prince Andrew when she was just 16 years old. Yeah, that's... Uh, so that, that's a big one. Those are some big names. Uh, a federal judge ended up blocking her claim, but a follow-up lawsuit against another person involved in the accusation was settled in June 2017 for an undisclosed sum. I'm pretty sure that loss... I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure that other person involved was Ghislaine Maxwell. And, uh, yeah, she ended up uh, having to settle and, like, pay. But um, you had Gawker playing a big role in publishing... Epstein's little black book, which was his uh, address book that included hundreds of names, which his butler, Alfredo Rodriguez, tried to sell in the prosecution in 2009 for what I believe was like $50,000, but he had called it his life insurance and circled certain names in red ink so that he would be able to indicate who were like frequent flyers or who were frequent who was who was really participating uh in this ring and again this is all legend but this was this was a man who worked at Epstein's home like this was someone who was there and who to be honest with you may have like assisted in this these crimes as well yeah what's crazy that happened to him was that he ended up going to jail for longer than Epstein did. <laughs> Seems fair, right? <laughs> no, obviously not. But, um, I mean, the reason for that is that obviously there are two systems of justice going on here. For the person who works in Epstein's home, there's one system of justice where even just having this document or you know trying to run this like small-scale fraud with it is enough to land him in jail for a period of time. But for the guy who is operating this whole scheme... There's, you know, still to this to this time. I mean, not really. They didn't really ever get anything on him, or uh, I guess um, they didn't really ever like serve justice upon him. Is I guess a better way to say it. You know, for whatever and by any measure that we're going to use. Well, that and that little black book and Gawker. It's just like a shame that Gawker is like not, you know, around anymore. That Hulk Hogan was able to sue them out of existence with the help of Peter Thiel. Yeah. And to name a few people who were uh, in the annotated copy of the address book, the uh, some of the names were kind of weird. Uh, you got Ted Kennedy, David Koch, uh, Alec Baldwin, Malcolm Gladwell, Courtney Love, former Israeli Prime Minister uh, Ehud Barak, who isn't he running against Netanyahu right now? Yeah. And I believe he was spotted like coming out of in and out of Epstein's mansion in the last uh, couple of years. But uh, we'll cut nice. that if that's wrong. Um, I said Courtney Love, didn't I? Yes. That's fucking weird. There's so many weird ones like Tipper Gore. <laughs> yeah, Al Gore and Tipper Gore. So, you know. Al Gore, I feel like, makes more sense to me for some reason than Tipper Gore. Maybe just because he's a man, but also because Tipper Gore was the uh, you know the parental advisory sticker lady. And of course, Donald Trump, uh, Steve Bannon. And it's weird with Bannon because there's that story from a long time ago that Bannon like destroyed this apartment he he was renting like just <laughs> completely like it was disgusting when he moved out and they said that he used like 
the the bathtub was so destroyed that they concluded that it had been like like acid had been poured into it or something. <laughs> I mean, he's a party animal. You can tell. So the little black book, you can Google it if you are uh, really interested. The circled entries, like these are the ones who uh, keep coming up in uh, disclosed documents are billionaire Leslie Wexner, former New Mexico governor Bruce King, former New Mexico governor and Democratic presidential hopeful Bill Richardson, Peter Soros, the nephew of George Soros, and former Miss Sweden and socialite New York City doctor Eva Anderson Dubin, who uh, the Dubins, I read a story the other day about how they are um, one of these families in New York City who brought Epstein. Like, I think that the mother used to date Epstein when they were younger, and they were one of the uh, families who, after his original conviction, like brought him back into New York uh, elite life. Classy stuff. Yeah, it's it's bleak, but let's move on. Okay, so in um, February 16th, 2017, just for the context, uh, Donald Trump announces Alexander Acosta, who was then the U.S. attorney, uh, as his nominee for U.S. labor secretary. Yeah, and again, this was the guy who gave Jeffrey Epstein the, gross term, sweetheart deal. And uh, December 2018, the attorney who represented... Epstein's accusers, uh, Bradley Edwards, the defamation suit he filed against Epstein is settled out of court one day into the trial with Epstein apologizing and agreeing to other confidential terms. And nearly 2,000 pages of records around the case would remain sealed until the federal appeals court judge in New York ordered them open mid-2019. Right. And also, as we know, in, in 2019, this is when it all starts you know, crumbling down on Epstein. Basically, a, in February, a judge ruled that um, Alexander Acosta, as we mentioned, did violate the Crime R- Victims Rights Act by not informing his victims about the plea deal in Florida 11 years prior. And the other shoe fell on July 6th, 2019, when Epstein was arrested at New Jersey's Teterboro Airport. Big things happen in New Jersey, man. This is a, this is a momentous occasion. Thanks for listening. Remember, this was part one of our episodes on Jeffrey Epstein. Part two, you know, the part where he fucking dies, will be out later this week. <laughs>